very much appreciate the uh, the prayer that was prayed by our, our brother and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, very much enjoyed the song service this morning. I would ask that each one of you would, would pray for us during this time we stand before you. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I, I hope that you do. I trust that you do. I'd like to encourage you to bring your, your Bible to the house of the Lord. And uh, I've always said this uh, in almost every pulpit I've stood, the church house is a good place to bring your Bible. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 18. The book of Genesis chapter 18. There's a few verses of scripture, a few portions of scripture I'd like for us to look at uh, this morning as, as we consider the, uh, the pre-incarnate visitations of the Lord Jesus Christ with his, with his people. We're going to begin reading this morning the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord appeared unto him, this is Abraham, in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts, after that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant, and they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened under the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran under the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. How many times have you heard a man of God stand in the pulpit before you and, and teach on the, on the Godhead? Like 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, there's three that by record in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and, and these three are one. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit is, is God. Not one above the other, not one less than the other. One has as much wisdom as the other. One has as much power as the other. They're, they're, they're one in heaven. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. If you remember Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning God, God singular, created the heaven and the earth. In verse 26, when it came time to make man, the Bible says, And God said, Let us, us, plural, make man in our image. All throughout Scripture, 
is taught clearly that all three of those are, are one. The Bible teaches us that the one, God the Son, at an appointed time, came down from heaven to this earth and took upon himself perfect humanity. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word. This Word was the Son, the eternal Son. He didn't become the Son. He's always been the Son. I've said this many times. My dad, he has a son, an older son than me. His name is Bobby. Bobby became my dad's son at the same time my dad became his father. He was not, he's not been, he was not a father any longer than Bobby was a son. He was not a son no longer. My dad was, was a father. So if there's an eternal father in heaven, then we've got to agree that there's an eternal son. And that eternal son was in glory before the foundation of the world. He has no beginning. He has no end. There was just a time that the one that has no beginning and has no end came to this earth and he took upon himself perfect humanity. He was incarnate. He came into the world of our viewing. Do you recall in John chapter 11 when Jesus comes to Lazarus' gravesite and Lazarus, he's been dead four days and he's been placed in a tomb with a stone. You remember Mary and Martha, they came to the Lord. If you'd been here, my brother had not died. That's, that's a true statement. I've never read where anyone died in his presence. But the Lord, he, he waited until Lazarus is dead that his power would be manifested when he come because he himself knew what he was going to do. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, giving evidence that he is God manifested in perfect humanity. When Martha came to him there in John chapter 11, Jesus said, Thy brother shall live again. She said, I know he shall live again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Everything about the resurrection is in him. And he said, Believest thou this? She said, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Do you notice that language? Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now, my dad, Elder Marvin Loudermilk, is passing this life into glory. But if he was here today, and he was outside the building, and I asked him to come into the building, he did not become my dad when he walked in the building. He was just my dad which walked in the building. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. He always has been. He just came into the world of our viewing. And I know you're thinking, Brother Ronnie, do you understand everything about that? No, I do not. It's a mystery. And the Bible tells us it's a mystery. I just believe it. I believe it by faith. And the Bible teaches me it's, it's so. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became a heartbeat in a virgin's womb and came into the world of our viewing. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 that he shall come a second time without sin unto salvation. What that means is he's already come one time. And he came that one time in the world of our viewing and manifest his glory. And he paid for all of our sins on the cross of Calvary. And praise God, he's coming back the second time, the last time, which is the last day 
meaning there's not going to be any more days on earth after that, the last day he will come and it's to take us home whom he purchased on the cross of Calvary. And when he comes, all the souls and spirits of those that have gone home to glory, my dad's soul and spirit will appear with him in the clouds and my dad's body is going to be taken up out of the grave and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Concerning the work of redemption, the Lord comes two times. One time to pay for our sins, the second time to take home that that he bought. But the Bible teaches us clearly that he who came into the world to pay for our sins, who shall come the second time to take us home, appears often in the children of God's life to help them in their times times of need. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we find times when the angels of God appear. You remember a few weeks ago, we spoke about there be more with us than there are with them, and we spoke about the angels of God, and certainly we believe that they're angels of God. The Bible says that the Lord's angels are 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. And somebody asked me once, how many is that? I said, that's a whole bunch is what that is. God's got a whole bunch of angels. Sometimes we find in the Old Testament, angels appear in the life of Daniel and the life of dear children of God. Sometimes we find a person that appears that seems to be a little more than just, just an angel. At those times, what we have is a pre-incarnate, meaning before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world of our viewing, that he came and manifested himself to his children to help them in their times of need. And each time we see that, we see a, a precious benefit. And each time we see that, we have an encouragement ourselves that the Lord would do that for us. See, the Lord does not love his children in the Old Testament more or less than he loves you. And if the Lord is willing to do that for them, praise God, it gives me hope that he would do this, this, this for me. Here in Genesis chapter 18, we have a, a situation where the Lord is angry with the people at Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And we have this man, this man of faith. His name is Abraham. The Bible talks about Abraham's faith. We read about Abraham's sacrifices he made to God. We read about Abraham's walk of obedience before the Lord. He's dwelling here in the plains of, of Mamre. And he's there with his, with his wife, Sarah. And there's three that come to Abraham here. Now, we know all three of these cannot be Jesus, but would you be convinced that one of them is Jesus? If you notice the three that came, there's two that went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you read a little later in the chapter, you'll find that it was two that went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, not all three. And those two were sent by God there to Sodom and Gomorrah to deliver Lot. But there was one that was there, if you'll notice with me. Abraham, he bowed himself to the ground before him. If you notice in verse 2, and Abraham, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. He bowed to them. Do you recall in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16, 
when an angel of the Lord appeared to John. And John fell to the ground, but the angel told him to stand because he was a servant as well as he. See, an angel of the Lord is a, is a servant. A servant of God. But this one that was here, Abraham, Abraham bowed himself. He didn't ask him to stand. Why? Because he's worthy of the worship of Abraham. If you notice this one that came, Abraham said, My Lord. And he received that. This one that came not only received that being called my Lord, but this one understood Sarah's heart. You know, when Sarah laughed, if you notice with me in verse 12, the Bible says, therefore Sarah laughed within herself. She didn't laugh out loud. She laughed because she was an older woman. Abraham, he's 100 years old. She's 90 years old. God said they'd have a son. She laughed, but she laughs within herself. She didn't laugh out loud, but there was one there that understood her very thoughts within herself. You know, the angels of God, they see us. Sometimes you read articles of faith from different churches that we're justified before men and angels by our works because angels see our works. The Apostle Paul charged Timothy before the elect angels. See, the angels see our works, but the angels is not able to see into our heart but there's one that's able to see all the way into your heart. He knows your very thoughts and intent, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. This one here understood Sarah's thoughts and intent. This one here that came to Abraham here when he was in his tent door, this is none other but the Lord Jesus Christ is manifested here to this precious man of God, even before he came and was manifested in the world, being born the son of a virgin. You said, Brother Ronnie, I thought that was, that was just an angel. No, it was more than just an angel. This individual here that appeared to Abraham, this is none other but the messenger of the covenant. Do you know an angel in its office? He's a messenger. You know, the Bible teaches us that the pastor of the seven churches of Asia, do you recall in Revelation 2 and 3, each one of those pastors are called an angel. Now, I'm not an angel in my person. <laughs> Those men were not angels in their person. But they were angels in their office because they were messengers of God. Sent forth by God to preach the word unto the churches. The Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God in his person. But often he's a messenger that comes to bring a message of comfort and peace and encouragement to the children of God in their time of need. And here is Abraham was here in his tent door. And this man Abraham had probably come to a time in his life and he, he got discouraged. He gets a little down as he's waiting, waiting on the promise of God to be fulfilled. And as he's waiting, the Lord comes to him in his tent door to fellowship with him that he would be encouraged and strengthened while he waited. See, God had made a promise to Abraham. Do you recall the promise? What was the promise? That Abraham would have a land and he'd have a seed. That seed of Abraham's would be as the stars of heaven, sand of the seashore, and as the dust of the earth. But there'd also be a land, the land of Canaan. And here he and Sarah in Genesis chapter 18, as they're waiting on the fulfillment of that. Don't you know that? Times in their life they got discouraged. Sarah even laughed. How could this be? We're already too old. You can turn one page back in your Bible, you'll find that Abraham laughed. How could this be? 
as he waits on the promise of God. And here comes the Lord here in Genesis 18, knowing that man's need. And he comes to fellowship with him in his tent door, that he be encouraged and strengthened as he waits on the promise of God. You know, when I read this in Genesis 18, I think about us, the children of God, here in the year 2021. You know, there's something that's become common for me. In conversations I have with children of God. And it's this. I wish the Lord would come back. When I talk to people who see their relatives suffering. When I talk to people and they see this the downward spiral of the world that we're living in. That knowing it's going to get worse. I hear it often. I just, I just wish the Lord would, would come back. And all this trouble would end. Yeah, I remember sitting by my my dad, Elder Marvin Latimer's bedside, and I was watching him take his last breath. And I remember praying, praying, God, just come back where I don't have to watch my daddy take his last breath. I talked to people on the telephone. I talked to Elder Will Martin. Brother Will was watching his mother's She's suffering from a virus on a ventilator. He said, I just wish the Lord would just just come back. I talked to people about the the recent state that we're in here in this world, even in our nation. I talked to people, I wish the Lord would just just come back and it all be over. Even children make the statement, I wish the Lord would just come back. But here we are, we're just waiting. We're waiting. You know, dear children of God, what we're doing, we're waiting in expectation. Do you believe the Lord is going to come back? I believe the Lord's going to come back. And it's it's all going to end up all right. You know what? We're all going to be happy. And I'm looking forward to being with the Lord in the sweet by and by. But it's tough dealing with the nasty now and now. Would you agree? But we're waiting, waiting. Just as Abraham was waiting on the fulfillment of that promise. At times in his life, he'd get discouraged. Times in his life when he would struggle. And the Lord knows this. He knows our heart. He knows what we're going through. And the Lord came and communed with Abraham in his tent door that he'd be helped and encouraged. And Abraham was able to talk with him. Here in these times of waiting, we wait on it all to end up all right. Isn't it a great blessing when the Lord in His mercy and His temporal grace will come and just commune with us in the tent door of our own heart, in the door of our own home, in the door of the house of God. You know, those times are very precious to me. They, they encourage me and strengthen me to go on. See, the Lord is not going to come back until it's His will to come back. I can't hurry up that day. I can't slow up that day. That's all in his hands. No man knoweth that hour. He knows. Not me. But in my experience, I can haste that in my experience. By having my mind focused on that. By concentrating on that. And during those times that I'm concentrating on that and thinking on that, the Lord, he comes. He comes to us. comes to us. Have you ever laid in your bed in prayer, just wanting it all just to end? And it was like the Lord just come 
And as the Shulamite would say of Solomon, he hath lied betwixt my breast all the night. What that means is he's been on my mind all night. He would just be there with you. And when you woke the next morning, you just felt encouraged and strength that I believe I can face just another day because of Jesus. Have you ever had times in your home? Maybe you just sat down at the dinner table and you're able to talk about the Lord or some of the rich blessings He had blessed you with in times past. You just felt like you just come to the tent door of your house and you was encouraged I could just face another day. Maybe you come to the house of God and the Lord came to the tent door of the house of God and just dwell with us and we felt His presence. And even though we live in a nasty world, we go away feeling encouraged and strength and I believe I can face one more day. Brothers and sisters, I've been in the house of God where I felt like the woman that could just reach and touch the hem of his garment. As my daddy used to say, I believe I can swim over hell on a rotten grapevine, singing Amazing Grace. I felt that and I'd walk away feeling encouraged that God had come to the tent door of our hearts, the tent door of our house, and commune with us that we'd be strengthened concerning this time that we're waiting on his promise to be fulfilled. I'm thankful for these times. I'm thankful for those times that Jesus would come. And just as he came... And dwell with Abraham and commune with him. Praise God. He comes and does this for his little children in their, in their lives. I want to say it like the old brother used to say in South Georgia. Ain't God good? God is good. God is good to do this for us. But this is not the only time he appeared to his children in the Old Testament. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 32. book of Genesis chapter 32, we find a man, his name is, is Jacob. And I want to tell you, this man, Jacob, he didn't always do things right. <laughs> My family and I were reading through the Bible there at our house this week. And I think it was last week we were reading through some things Jacob did. And Joshua, he made a comment. He said, well, he said, Jacob can really make a mess of things, can he, daddy? I said, yes, he can. Jacob didn't always do things that was right. There was a time in Jacob's life that he, he lied to his daddy, lied to his brother, got himself in trouble. And I'll tell you, Esau was not a man to play with. He was a man in the field. He's a very strong man. Jacob made him mad. Esau was going to take his life. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, knew what he was going to do. And she warned Jacob and told him to run, go to her brother. There in Padanaran, you go, you flee for your life. And you stay there till it's, till it's good. It come time when Jacob wanted to come back home. I mean, the Lord had revealed to him it's time to go back home. But Jacob's still concerned Esau's still alive. He's probably still mad. He hadn't got over this yet. So Jacob begins to make his journey. Coming back home, knowing that Esau is still alive. And Jacob come to a particular place. You'll notice with me in Genesis 32 and verse 24. And it was there he wrestled with the man until the breaking of the day. You know, that man that Jacob wrestled with, he touched the, the joint of his thigh. And the Bible said the sinew shrink. And the man said, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Notice in verse 26, and he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Bless me. I've got something in front of me that's troubling me. I need some help. 
Verse 27, he asked him, what's your name? What is your name? He said, I'm just Jacob. And this one he wrestled with changed his name. From henceforth, he'd be called Jacob no more. He'd be, called, he'd be called Israel because he was a man that had power with God and with man. And notice he hath prevailed. Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which says means I have seen the face of God. And someone would say, well, Brother Ronnie, that was, that was just, just an angel or just a man. No, it was, it was more than just an angel. It was Jesus. Jesus came. You say, are you telling me that God wrestled with, with man? And God would allow that man to wrestle with him? Yes. Turn with me to the book of Hosea, chapter 12. In the book of Hosea, chapter 12, we receive some commentary concerning this. Hosea, chapter 12, it's right before the book of Joel. In verse 4, it makes reference to Jacob. He said, yea, he had power over the angel. Oh, that's what I thought, Brother Ronnie. It was just an angel. Now, let's read a little further. He wept and made supplication unto him. He, this one that was an angel, found him in Bethel. And there he spake with us, even the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial. This one that's an angel, he's, he's not an angel in his person. He's an angel in his office. He's the messenger. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God of hosts. Turn with me back there to Genesis chapter 32 and turn one more page over. To Genesis chapter 31, the same one that appeared with Jacob there at Bethel. is the same one he wrestled with. He's the Lord of hosts. In verse 13 of Genesis 31... He says, I am the God of Bethel. The one he wrestled with didn't say, I'm the angel of Bethel. Mm -mm. He said, I'm the God of Bethel. And he come there to Jacob as Jacob was going to face trouble in his life. And Jacob grabbed hold of him. And he wouldn't let him go. But you know, that one he wrestled with could have dissolved him in an instant. He touched his thigh there and it's a new strength. I mean, God could have destroyed him in an instant. But he didn't. He wrestled with him. And he wouldn't let him go. You know, and I think about this occurrence, I think about oftentimes we, the children of God, have something before us and we're troubled, we're worried. <laughs> I mean, no one knows what tomorrow will bring. We can't boast ourselves in tomorrow. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, it's easy to worry today about tomorrow. It's easy to get consumed about what would happen tomorrow and the next day and the next day today. And when we do, where do we have to go? Can we go to ourselves? No, we don't know. Can we go to the world? No. We can go to the one who knows all about tomorrow. We can go to him. Have you ever had something before you that you were concerned about and worried about? Like Jacob here, he knows he'd face. And you'd go to the Lord and you'd pray and, and you'd pray and, and you'd pray and you just, just wrestled in prayer all the night. The Bible teaches us that we should... Give him no rest. That's amazing, isn't it? The Bible would say that in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 7. And give him no rest. That doesn't make sense from God's perspective, right? How can we not 
give God rest? The Bible says that he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't need rest. But see, that's written from our perspective. That we would be encouraged to lay hold on the Lord when we're in prayer, when we're going to Him for help, and to hold on Him. And that one said, let me go, Jacob. He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Do you realize, dear children of God, that God will suffer us to lay hold on Him and He would let us wrestle with Him and hold on to Him that He would bless us. And it's important that we, when we pray, we go to the Lord seeking help, that we would persevere in that prayer. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 gives us a model prayer. If you're hurting, would say this is the Lord's prayer. No, it's really not the Lord's prayer. John chapter 17 is the Lord's prayer. This is our model prayer. This is how we should pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. That's our model prayer. Go to Luke chapter 11. The disciples were asking Jesus to teach them to pray. And Jesus told them this. And then immediately after that, he told them a parable. He said, which one of you should have a friend? And when a friend has come to him in his journey, he will go to that friend, come to his door and say, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come in his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And the friend shall answer from within and say, the children are in bed, the door is now shut, my feet are washed, I cannot rise and give thee. And Jesus said, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Do you know how many times I've heard people quote that? Opportunity. The word is not opportunity. It's importunity. What that means is to solicit persistently. My daddy told me that there was a preacher in the pulpit many years ago that was preaching on that text. And he illustrated like this. He said there was a man that needed some bread. He needed some help. And he went to his friend's house and he knocked on the door. I need some help. Can you get up and help me? And he said, no, I'm in bed. I cannot get up and help you. My kids are in the bed. The door's now shut. Go away and come back the next day. And he said, the man knocked on the door again. He said, no, I need some help. And I know you're there. And I know you can help me. And I know you've got what I need. Help me, help me. And he said, listen, I've already told you. My door is shut. I've washed my feet. I'm in the bed. I don't have time. He'd knock again and knock again and knock again. Finally, you get to the point He's pulling the siding from the house and said, I need you to wake up. I need your help. You know what the context is? The context is prayer. Ask and it should be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it should be opened unto you. How many of us pray like that? How many of us are like Jacob? That we would wrestle with the Lord and not let him go all the night until he blessed us. You know, if we were praying like that, we might enjoy more rich blessings from God in our lives. How many of us pray like that for the house of God? How many of us pray like that for our brothers and sisters in Christ? How many of us pray like that for our children, our grandchildren? Praise God, we should be like Jacob, but it also should be an encouragement to us that we who would go to the Lord in prayer, that He would suffer us to lay hold on Him and hold on Him and, and He would bless us. Do you realize, dear children, child of God, that's how precious you are to the Lord? Do you remember Mark chapter 10? When Jesus is going up from Jericho to Jerusalem. 
Now, I've talked to many people about this horse of Scripture, and, and they'd go to Matthew and Luke, and they'd say, you know, there's a lot of contradiction in the Bible right there. I said, no, there's no contradiction. you just got to understand the setting. See, there's, there's two Jerichos. You've got the old Jericho, and you've got the new Jericho that's built by Herod. Jesus is actually going out of the old, and he's coming into the, the new Jericho, and then he's going to go up to Jerusalem. That's why one Bible writer says he's departed. The other says he's grew nigh to Jericho. But he's on this path. Jesus is. He's walking. There's a great multitude with him. People all around him. I mean, he's been doing miracles. People are there to see a miracle. People are there to spend time with him. The disciples are learning from him. And he walks, and there's this little blind boy here on the side of the road. The Bible said he's on the wayside. What that is is the path where people walk. You know, every time I think about him, I think about just somebody poor, you know, got holes in their shoes, barely anything to wear, and just got a Campbell soup can in their hand. They're begging, begging, I need some help. I need some help. He's blind. He heard the noise of everyone coming. And he asked, he said, who is this? They said, yes, it's Jesus, son of David. Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he began to cry out, oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You know what the disciples did? They went to him and said, would you just calm down and get quiet? He, he didn't really have time to mess with you right now. How often the world tries to quiet us down when we look to the Lord in prayer and ask him for help. Oh, even in our mind, the devil whispers in our mind, there's no sense in you praying. He didn't have time for you. And I will agree that the Lord has a lot to do. Would you agree that the Lord has a lot to do? I realize we children of God sometimes can get a plate full. Have you ever had one of those days when your plate was full? I mean, the gravy was falling off the edges. But we've never had as much to do as the Lord has to do. You realize the Lord, he came into this world... The Bible said if everything that he'd done could have been written, the world itself could not contain the books that it could have been written. Of all the miracles he'd done, all the people that was coming to him, I mean, sometimes he would wear himself out as the son of Mary, and they'd have to take him as he was. I mean, he would, he would collapse. His energy would be gone. I mean, people that stand in lies, people calling to him. I mean, he had a lot to do in it. And that entire time, he's going forward with his mind focused and his head like a flint. And the Son of Man goeth as it was determined of him. And no man could turn him from doing what he did on the cross when he died for all our sins. Yeah, he had a lot to do. But you know, at the same time, the eternal Son of God was doing that. He was holding the universe in its place. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, By Him, our, the eternal Son of God, our Savior, by Him all things consist, meaning they're maintained. You know the reason the world stays in its place, turning on its axis? Oh, that's gravity, Brother Ronnie. No, that's the power of God is what it is. You know the reason the sun stays right there where it is? Because the power of God holds it there. You know the reason the moon stays where it is? Because the power of God holds it there. You know the reason the stars are all in their place? Because the Son of God holds it there. Not only is he doing all that he did on earth, but he's also holding the universe in his place. Wow, he's got a lot to do. He is a busy person. Would you agree? And he who is that busy... And when you get a busy day and someone calls you on the cell phone, if you ever just said, yeah, I'll just have to call them later. You ever done that? And here's this one, blind Bartimaeus. He's needing help. He's calling on the Lord, and they're saying, quiet down, Barney. He doesn't have time for you. He just keeps crying and keeps crying. And one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, Mark chapter 10 and verse 49 says, and he stood still. Bam! 
That is a great miracle. He stood still. The one that caused the S-U-N to stand still in Joshua's day now stands still for a crying and begging child of God. That's how precious you are. Jacob here wrestled with him all the night and Jesus suffered that. He stood still for him. And then the Lord blessed him. You know what happened to Jacob? Everything turned out just fine. God blessed him. And you'd say, Brother Ronnie, I didn't think Esau was a child of God. See, God's got power over all things. Even the king's heart are in the hands of the Lord. He can turn it whithersoever he will. I'm going to tell you, God can make the difficult things in life really, really easy. Let's go a little further. Let's go to the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua here, the, the children of Israel have, have crossed over Jordan. They're there in Gilgal, and they're going to go forward, and we know they're going to face Jericho. They're going to go against Ai and the Gibeonites. And Joshua here, he's preparing for battle. The children of Israel, they've ate the old corn of the land, the manna ceases. Joshua, he's here, and don't you know he's meditating and thinking? Verse 13, he's got a lot before him. He's got a big battle and a big fight. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Are thou for us or for our adversaries? He said, Nay, but as captain of the Lord of Captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the, to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Who is this? Just an angel. Angel in the office, not an angel in his person. This is Jesus. This is Jesus that comes to his little child as he has a great battle before him. See, there's a great battle and a great fight before Joshua. Joshua was a mighty man. He's a mighty man of valor. He was a warrior. But he's just a man. When he sees the Lord there, he said, Are, are you for us? Well, for our adversaries. He said, nay. But it's captain of the Lord of hosts in my cup. You know what Jesus just told him? Joshua, you don't need to ask me whose side I'm on. You need to be more concerned about whose side you're on. You know, as we go forward here in the year 2021, we've got a great fight before us. We're, we're to fight the good fight of faith. And if you're going to do what's right, you're going to have adversaries. You're going to have enemies. People are not always going to be for you if you're going to try to do what's right. The important thing for us to consider every day and to meditate on is whose side are we on? Are we on God's side, the world's side, or the devil's side? Whose side are we on? Dear children of God, do you want to be on the Lord's side? The Lord has told us. How to be on his side is hearing the word by doing what God told us to do. Do you remember there in Exodus chapter 32 when Moses, he goes up into the mountain. He stays there for 40 days. And, and while he was there, the children of Israel, they got a little impatient. And they went to Aaron, you know, make us gods. And 
here and he said, give me all your gold and your jewelry and he put them together and made this golden calf and they begin to fall down and worship and dance. These be the gods that brought us out of Egypt. Moses, he was coming down, sounded like the sound of war, but it was none other than this idolatry. Well, when Moses got there and he saw it, you know what Moses did? Moses got mad. <laughs> yeah, I've heard people say, you know, the preacher shouldn't get mad. Moses got mad. After all the Lord had done for them and to see them doing that, yeah, he got angry. He took that golden calf and he burned it with fire and ground it into power and put it in water and made them drink it. He made them drink it. I told some people once, they said, I think our pastor's mad at us. I said, has he made you drink water with brass and jewelry ground up in it? They said, no. I said, I don't think he's that mad. <laughs> I mean, preachers can get mad. I remember one time there in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah got so angry at some folks, he went and plucked the hair out of their head. I, I thought, I'll tell you what, that's pretty mad. I'd hate to come to church and preach preacher mad at me like that. Yeah, Moses got angry. And Moses stood up and he looked at the congregation. He said, who is here on the Lord's side? Make a choice. Are you here on this golden calf side or are you on the Lord's side? See, it's important that we make a decision. Whose side are we on? What's right or what's wrong? I mean, there's no gray area here. It's either right or wrong. God has given us his word and what we should be and what we should stand for. The Lord said, no, I'm not here to choose sides. No, I'm here to take over. This is my battle. This is my fight. And Joshua, he learned when he saw him, he said, I need you. See, it's not that the Lord needed Joshua. He said, Joshua needed the Lord. And as we go forward in the year 2021, the Lord doesn't need me, okay? The Lord doesn't need me. Have you ever met people that thought, you know, the Lord is very blessed to have me on their side? I, I saw a man one time join the church, and he gave his testimony, and I thought, how blessed we are that you're on our side. You know, he didn't last long in church. Do you know the church? You don't, you don't need me. You'd be just fine without me. I need the Lord. I need the church. And Joshua bowed himself and took his shoe off his foot. You know, the Lord was with him and he followed the Lord. He, I could just see Joshua as he'd go forth in battle. He would go to the Lord, go to this one, this captain. What would you have us do next? What would you have us do next? Isn't it precious that the Lord would come to us to manifest himself as our captain, as our leader, to lead us forth as we go forth in battle, standing up for what's right in this world. I need God's leadership. Do you need God's leadership? Joshua did, and the Lord came to him and provided that leadership and guidance. You know, I love reading through the book of Joshua, and you finally come there to Joshua chapter 10. You know, and all those kings gather themselves together, and Joshua, he pulls those kings out of the cave and told all the children of Israel to come and put their foot on the back of their necks. Why is that so significant? Joshua wanted to know that by the power of the Lord, by the leadership of our captain, all your enemies are already under your feet. You know, in the preaching of the gospel... Sometimes in a spiritual way, it's like we're able to, to take and just put all our enemies under our foot. And no, you know, it's really all under our feet. It's all going to end up fine. You know what's going to happen in the end? We're going to win. That's what will happen in the end. I heard a story once about a young boy. He was reading the book of Revelation. There was an old preacher that walked by and asked that young boy. He said, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. He said, well, that's kind of a tough book to be reading there, young son. The old fellow went on his way and he come back by and the boy was still reading there. He said, what are you reading now? He said, I'm still reading the book of Revelation. He said, well, do you understand it? He said, I sure do. He said, wow, that's pretty amazing. Somebody that young understands 
couple days passed by, I walked by, the boy was still there reading. He said, what are you reading today? He said, I'm still reading the book of Revelation. You still understand what you're reading? Yeah, I understand. He said, well, what does it say? It says the Lord always wins. That's what it says. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Over and over, it's telling the same story. The Lord always wins. And as we go forward, we need that leadership of God, the one that always wins. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we find the Lord appearing to his children in their time of persecution. If you recall here in the third chapter of the book of Daniel, the Babylonians are, are ruling. There's many that's been taken captive. People are suffering. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he builds him a big idol. And he wants everybody to fall down and worship this idol. There's an agreement made that they would play music at the sound of a cornet and psaltery, flute, harp. When that was played, everybody would fall down right here to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. But if you remember this three, they said, we're not going to fall down. Mishael, Hazariah, Hananiah, they, they would not fall down. You know, those were called Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I have a father in ministry years ago. He said he's going to preach on Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And he said after church, one of the little kids in church come and said, I sure want to be at church tonight because I want to see that billy goat. He said, billy goat? He said, well, you said he's going to preach on somebody in a billy goat. <laughs> Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Their real names, Jewish names, were... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These three men, when this law was made by Nebuchadnezzar, they said, no, we're not. We're not going to worship that. We worship the God of heaven. The Lord of heaven and earth. Nebuchadnezzar, he gets angry. They built this fiery furnace. If nobody will fall down, I tell you what, you're going to be cast in this fiery furnace. And when these men wouldn't bow down, if you'll notice with me in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 19, they heated that furnace up seven times. It got so hot that the people that were going to cast them in were burned in casting them in. Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down, verse 17. If you notice with me in verse 16, they told Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee. Meaning this, we, we've already thought this through. We're not going to do this. We're not bowing down to this idol. Now we're serving God, we're going to be faithful to him. Verse 17, they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. He's able to do this. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Meaning this, either way, we're going to be delivered out of thy hand. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Woo, Nebuchadnezzar is filled with anger. You know what they just said? God, our God, is either going to deliver us from this burning fire furnace. He'll deliver us in the fire furnace or he's going to deliver us out of this situation altogether. But be it known unto thee, we serve God and him alone. Heat it up seven times. What's so amazing is when they heat it up seven times, the only thing that burned up was that that had them bound. You know, when they came out of that, the Bible said it didn't have the smell of smoke on them. Notice in verse 25 when Nebuchadnezzar, he looked in. He looked into that burning fire furnace and he said, Lo, I see four men loose, loose. Not just three. I thought we cast in three. I see four walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. 
And the form of the fourth is, is like the Son of God. Who is this? It's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that came to his children in their time of need of persecution and trouble. So I want to tell you, dear children of God, sometimes we can be in the fire furnace of discouragement. Sometimes we can be in the fire furnace of persecution. Sometimes we can be in the fire furnace of tribulation and troubles. But praise God, our Lord will be there with us. And isn't it precious to know that he came to them in their time of need, and when it was all over, they didn't have the smell of smoke on them. If God done that for them, he'd do it for us. We're going to close this morning with a verse of Scripture found in the book of Judges, chapter 13. This is dealing with Manoah and his wife. His wife is one of the seven barren women of Scripture. God came to them and told them they were going to have a son. Manoah's wife was there alone, and she told Manoah about it. Well, he said, the next time you see him, this one, you come and get me. And she come and got him, and he came, and he saw it, and it's the Lord. Manoah asked him, he said, what is thy name? Verse 17. What is thy name that when thy, thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord, not an angel in his person, an angel in his office, said unto him, why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? If you go to the center column of your Bible, his name is Wonderful, or he that doeth wonders. The one that appeared to Manoah that day is one that does wonders. And the one that appeared to Manoah is the same one that can come to us in all our times of need to be able to manifest and do wonders above all that we ask or think. Isaiah 9, 6 says that's his name. Wonderful. The mighty God, the counselor, the everlasting God. The Prince of Peace. Dear brothers and sisters, I pray that we would all be encouraged by this. And understanding how the Lord came to his children in times past, that believing in faith and trusting in him, that in our times of trouble, when we need him, when we need him, he'll come to you and help you because he loves you just as much as he loved them. May God richly bless us in our prayer. If anyone here this day would like to come forward,